you learn something every day. How to drive a John Deere tractor is not now beyond me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I, I, that's still beyond me. I haven't added that to my list of things. No, you could, I mean, I, I literally had to go to YouTube. I mean, I, I'm not exaggerating. The tractor was in the garage and I'm like, I might just drive through the end of the garage. I better figure out what these four pedals are for. <laughs> one of them's not going to, one of them's for stop and I don't know which one it is. David Duncan, thank you for joining me, my friend. This is great. We've been trying to do this for a while. I'm glad we finally get to sit down. Me too, T. Thanks for the invite. Really looking forward to it. Appreciate the time. Um, all right, everybody. David Duncan, President and CEO of First Hospitality, sitting in Chicago. That looks like the office. Is that right? We are downtown Chicago. With all of his deal toys lined up behind him. Uh, some deal toys lined up behind him. There's a whole plaque, a whole, whole bunch on the other side. Ah. Uh, all right, so here's what I want to do. I'm going to talk about uh, I'm going to talk about David Duncan first of all. I'm going to talk about 23. We're going to get your thoughts and opinions on 24, um, and we'll see where this goes. But you've had a long illustrious career. But first, I I want to know. I think everybody needs to know who is David Duncan and how did he end up in this crazy hospitality space? So where uh, you from, where are you born? Where are you raised? Give me the home. Uh, of those three topics, my least favorite is who's David Duncan. But we know, we know. That. I get that a lot. I appreciate that. So uh, I am a kid from the Midwest, grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan. My family has been there literally for generations uh, since college. I went to school in Kalamazoo, Western Michigan. Since then, I'd been gone from the great Midwest, living on the East Coast and West Coast for literally 30 plus years. Never planned to move back to the Midwest. Not that I didn't love it. I just was sort of living in big cities and didn't think I would uh, necessarily head back this way. Uh, first hospitality uh, was the reason I moved back to Chicago. And uh, that that's sort of the round trip. I lived in, uh, in Denver, Los Angeles, Boston, 20 years in New York. My kids grew up in uh, Connecticut. And as they go on off to college, we become more mobile. So here we are in Chicago. So how many kids? Three? Three kids. Uh, living all over. Father of uh, triplets, two boys and a girl. Oh, nice. Good for you. you know. Good for you. Back in the day, that's tough. So, what? Give me a first job. I need the first job. I mean, I know your long, illustrious career, Denahan, all like, but first job. First job. First real job was driving a truck in my family's business. First job out of college was actually a uh, an accountant in a CPA firm uh, in in Denver, and then a firm called Kenneth Leventhal in Los Angeles. Okay, so you're doing the accounting thing. Right? Yeah, so, right. uh, accounting and consulting, so the first 10, 12 years of my life. So how, why why from finance to hotels? I always loved real estate. I'd always been you know, predominantly focused on real estate. The firm of uh, this consulting firm, Kenneth Leventhal, was a real estate consulting accounting firm. And uh, I moved to Los Angeles to work for them and really get to understand their real estate clients, and then moved with them, opened the Boston office to understand the institutional clients, all in real estate, very little exposure to hotels, spent some time post the consulting, went into what I call the dark side, working for uh, GE Capital when that was a monstrous machine um, in the late early, in the late 90s, early aughts, and then uh, spent some time in a hedge fund. And then 
sort of in mid-career, if you will, found that I just loved the hospitality business. The first half of my life was really quantitative analysis, understanding, you know, derivatives and long, short bets, et cetera, et cetera, which was intellectually fascinating, but sort of left a little something. I didn't know what I was missing on the heart side of the business. Moved into the hotel business with the same real estate investing bets that we get to make. But because we have an owner operator business, we also have this wonderful experience of being able to open hotels, make neighborhoods come alive and bring people's lives into those hotels as travelers and employees. And that really just sort of filled me up. And so I literally fell in love with the hotel business halfway through my career and uh, decided to stick. You're really drinking the hospitality Kool-Aid right now. I, I'm I like all, you know, so I was like in the desert for the first half of my life. I was just running quant stuff. And then, uh, you know, you're right about that. The hospitality thing is, uh, it, it's it's compelling. And uh, right. I love the industry. So how and when, 2018, but how'd you meet Steve Schwartz, founder of First Hospitality? How'd you meet Steve and, and agree to come join him? Yeah, so I'd heard of, I, I'd heard of uh, First Hospitality. I'd not met Steve, actually. Six years ago was the first time we really met. I'd been here five and a half years. And uh, the, the short story is we just finished renovating a house a couple blocks from the ocean in La Jolla, California. My wife thought, this is fantastic. I did too. But the draw of a business like this was pretty compelling. And literally on that ba uh, basis, I moved from La Jolla to Chicago to run First Hospitality. And so that, that says a lot about uh, my uh, common sense. But uh, I love the business. Weather is fantastic today. It's going to be almost above zero. And, uh, you know, the great thing about Chicago is there's two airports and you can always fly south when it gets too cold. So we're making the best of it. All right. So give me give that. That's hilarious. So give me the five years. What's five years with Steve been like? Uh, fantastic. He's done everything and more that he said he would do, which is, you know, really support the business and uh, sort of lean into it. The pandemic obviously was a huge, you know, disruption to everybody's life. You know, we moved here to build first hospitality out. And uh, there was moments there at the beginning of the pandemic. They thought, gee, this is a uh, not sure this is what we were all hoping for. But the reality is my, you know, the early part of my career had been in restructuring, bankruptcy, consulting and workouts. And so when the pandemic came, this is a little bit weird and half embarrassing to admit. I was like, we got this part. Now, you know, what else can we do during this time? Because I literally had worked out major, every major developer in the U.S., you know, going back to, back to the 90s. And so we made a couple of decisions then, which is we're going to be in this business for another 40 years. And we're going to behave honorably no matter what happens in every situation. We didn't have to give any assets back. We retained all of the executives or, pro or team above property and really lean into how do we take advantage of this very unfortunate downturn to build the back office of First Hospitality, get the ship right for the next you know, uh, voyage, if you will. And uh, on that basis, we've been able to roughly double the size of the portfolio from since, uh, you know, over the, over the past five years. And so uh, that, that COVID thing, that pandemic thing was sort of a blip and a slowdown, but uh, working with Steve's been fantastic. And uh, we've, we've really never looked back or hesitated on what we're trying to do. Well, I think a lot of lessons were learned, right? You kind of learn who you are and what you're made of and do you really want to do this or do you kind of want to do this? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we saw a lot of, you know, we've, we've been in sort of acquisition mode through that time. And yep. uh, you're, you're right about that. You know, some people decided this was not necessarily the business for them and sort of stopped investing in their business. Others sort of doubled down and said, you know, this is an opportunity. 
we were in the latter camp. And uh, what I think, you know, you, there's all sorts of lessons you learn through through those things. Um, and that's that's why when I see these sorts of opportunities or challenges come along, having been through uh, taking companies through bankruptcy and all sorts of, you know, disruptions. And uh, I stopped. I try to stop being fearful about it or, you know, frozen about it and just sort of lean into it because you can be maintain your curiosity, maintain your confidence. It's amazing what you learn. I took a company through bankruptcy when I left General Electric. GE was the largest company in the world when I and I left. Everybody in my neighborhood was mad at me because it was a company town. They couldn't believe I left GE and literally to run a company through bankruptcy. It was a disastrous business circumstance. And at the end of that, people said, boy, I bet you wish you didn't do that. And honestly, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. I learned so much in that one year of, you know, the worst. This is a telecom. This is a telecom oriented business in the telecom bubble that burst. And, you know, wasn't particularly enjoyable, you know, <laughs> on, all, on all fronts or maybe any fronts. But what you learn during those times, I think, are, uh, you know, really are compelling. Yeah, I think we got to pause and remind ourselves of that. Like today, we're trying to make everything just too easy, too perfect, not make mistakes, not have any real hardships. But I'm with you. That's when you do the most growing. Not yeah. that I'm with more hardships. And, and this is a, a funny way of looking at the business. But so when I was in the you know a, a financial and financial services investment hedge fund business, everything did have to be perfect. A structured real estate or investment product with hedges and all these things around it, like there was zero room for any error. Like the thing had to survive on its own, on a piece of paper, intellectually pure. Flip that over to hospitality business. Things go wrong every day, and, and uh, you know you can get you can get uh, anxious about that. But you know the reality is they're all learning experiences, and I think you're right. I think that uh, yeah we're. We're lucky to be in a really good business that people are genuinely, uh, uh, for the most part, pleasant to each other. Curiosity of travel, curiosity of helping people grow their careers in our business. I, I just find it fascinating. And yeah, stuff goes wrong every day, but you know, a lot of stuff goes right every day too. So you got you got to think about the balance. What What do you like better, the operations side or the real estate and finance side? I love both. I'm, you know, I'm really a real estate finance investment guy. At, I would say at core, or maybe by training. Um, and so, you know, that's you know the default part of where I go is the quant stuff first. But the part that really keeps me, you know, my spirits buoyed is the is the operations side and the people side, and just being able to see people come in from you know looking for a job. We give them our career, and you know they meet their spouse on a mission that we've sent them on to open a hotel in some, you know, other city, they end up having children. You get to know their children. It's just a really nice full circle business. And, uh, and yeah, so I really love the opportunity. And, and what I also especially like about these owner operator models is we provide alpha. We have a better operating company than a plain vanilla. If I were to hire a third party operator, we can make NOI go up beyond what is expected and ordinary. The operating business is so vital to the investment business. We're a better, I believe, truly, this is the third one I've been in. We're a better underwriter. We understand the markets better. And we can actually, you know, squeeze margins, drive index because it's ours. And uh, I love having that, that. I call it the corporate athlete. I love having the corporate athlete of the operating company 
that is a better corporate athlete than I think others, when we go into a deal, put our capital into it, I know the outcome is going to be as good as it possibly can be because we've got this operating company that's really good at running hotels. That's all we do. How many employees now, roughly? Uh, 3,500. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How, many, how many hotels? We have uh, uh, just over 70. Yeah. And yeah. So just, you know, just over 10,000 keys, just over 70 hotels, a whole bunch of people. And, uh, you know, it's, it is that part of the business is interesting in the, you know, it's a 24 seven business and, uh, things go right every day and things go wrong every day. And you just hope that, you know, we've inspired the team on the ground to do the right thing. Uh, Talk to me about a big deal last year for the industry, but, uh, the acquisition, if I may merger of Hostmark. Uh, Jerry Taldo, great guy in the industry, longtime guy. I know he and Steve are friends, so maybe cheated a little bit there. But talk to me about that acquisition. Yeah, so friendly Chicago competitors. Yep. Family businesses that had been sort of friendly competitors for a long period of time. Um, We had, uh, as an extension of sort of the mentality coming out of the pandemic, looking to grow the business. We're looking to acquire real estate and maybe acquire other operating companies if it makes sense. And uh, we looked at 10 or 15 other hotel operating companies for acquisition. And uh, the, the deal with Hostmark was, you know, ostensibly, I'm going to call it a no-brainer, which is a funny way of saying it, but very similar company, same town. Jerry was interested in, you know, appreciated the benefits of a, the, the investments that we've made in our infrastructure and in our business and the business plan that, that, that we had laid out um you know fundamentally as first hospitality and so we joined hines we acquired hostmark uh the majority of the hostmark employees joined first hospitality and uh we're off to the races the uh, the if you're going to call it sort of an integration that's done as of december 31st everything is you know sort of in the rearview mirror and we're all operating as one we added a portfolio that now includes uh beyond the midwest uh, from First Hospitality, pre-acquisition of Hostmark. We're now in California, Texas, and Florida. And for the growth of First Hospitality, the platform, it's really nice to be, you know, in those smile states. And uh, we'll, we'll find additional growth opportunities in all of those markets. And, uh, you know, the team's all behaving well. And really, it, it's been a nice uh, outcome for, for both of us. Yeah, let's 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 dive into strategy, 2024 strategy. But do you think you're going to start growing in those small states, or are you going to stay close to Chicago, or where do you think you, where do you think the opportunity? Uh, I think we've been really focusing the majority of our uh, acquisition efforts, and sort of we we grow in two or three ways. We grow in three ways: channels, right? We buy another operating company, we can buy real estate, or we can take on third party management. Um, and so the geography will depend on where those opportunities come. On the acquisition side, we're pretty agnostic. We're looking at things in in uh, you know slower growth markets if it makes sense, as well as those smile states. And so, we're principally focused on full service, soft branded hotels, 200 keys or you know above, uh, vibrant restaurant and bars. We lean into that side of the business. Have a very capable team that runs the restaurant and bar side of the business. And so we're the acquisition team is really focused on where can we buy something at a reasonable basis and bring the corporate athlete to, 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 to renovate, reposition, operate better, 
and and grow the value of the real estate there. And you know, similar mirror image of that on the third party, we were really really leaning into you know full service soft brand, doing a fair amount of premium select service and extended stay as we always have, but we're really avoiding things that we haven't done much of. So we're not going to go down market and operate there, although we can see some you know, real opportunities for scale. It's just not what we've always done and we're going to stick to our knitting. And, you know, we're likely not going to, uh, you know, island destination resorts to run those businesses either. But, uh, you know, generally urban core U.S. Head further south would be great. I say that, you know, with a genuine interest because today in Chicago, it's literally three below. The highest three above. So it's like a heat wave. We're going, we're going to the other side. Of it. But, uh, you know, in terms of, that's obviously where the economic growth is happening. And so I think the vast majority of our opportunities will be in those smile states. Does it make the acquisition you, side and uh, third party business that does it make you miss your house in La Jolla? Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just another reminder of how I just have to apologize to my wife for uh, doing that to her. Yeah. <laughs> five years, five years from, uh, yeah. And so the good news is uh, we're great partners and, and, uh, we both come to love Chicago. Um, we, we love to make fun of the, the horrible weather, but it's a great city. We live in the city. We can walk to work. It's got a lot of stuff going for it. On day, you know, w- weather in, uh, today isn't, isn't one of them, but it's got a whole lot of other things going for it. Uh, I mean, I won't ask you, how long are you going to keep doing this? That's the question your wife asks. Honey, when, when can we retire? When can we Forever. move? Yeah. Well, no, I'm I, 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 I going to, with my, with, uh, the help of medical science, we're all going to live till 100. I don't have a lot of other good hobbies. I mean, I literally lived in La Jolla. I learned to surf. We had a golf course management business, um, and we're buying coastal California real estate. It wasn't a bad setup, but I'm a deal guy. I like to grow and build things. I'm going to live till I'm 100. I don't know what I'm going to do for another 40 or 50 years. So this is it is the real answer. And I love it, which is fine. I when hear I stop that, loving it. I'll stop doing it. I hear that exact same speech a lot. So I, we either need hobbies or uh, I don't know what we need, but everybody yeah. has yeah, our, maybe our head examined, but it is what it is. I love it. All right. So let's go to 2024. I need, give me some predictions. What do you think is going to happen? This happen in this joyous year ahead of us. Yeah. The crystal ball is broken is what I've discovered because for, you know, two years I've said there's going to be some good buying opportunities. The reality is there's so much capital. Right. on the sidelines and the I'll call it technology. I really mean thoughtfulness of deals and structures uh, with all that capital available and it's leaking into MES, PREF and other structures. It is a fundamental buoy to real estate values, right? As separate from the economy and high interest rates, there's a lot of capital out there. And so I don't think we're going to find, you know, severely discounted buying opportunities. I think we'll find good buying opportunities presumably at a discount to replacement cost in a whole lot of different places. But uh, I think as uh, our current prediction is as rates, they don't have to go down a lot, but they have to stop. They have to, they have to stop the nonsense of it is going to continue to go up. And I think over the next three to six months, you know, you, I hope I, I probably should say, I hope you'll see rates starting to settle in and a little better visibility to uh, a steady state. That's the problem, as you know, in, in the real estate business. You know, at, at some point in my career, 
you know, six and seven percent interest rates were normal. Nobody thought anything about it. And that's what you did. Everything was traded on that basis. And then when interest rates were zero, nobody thought anything about it. Everything was traded on that basis. We just need some level of, of uh, you know, stability, if you will, in expectations. It feels like that's coming around. It's interesting. It's the tale of two cities. On the app, we just finished budgets for 70 some hotels. And last year we had underwritten, you know, over 100 deals to try to buy. And and um, the operating fundamentals in almost all of the markets we're in are really strong on a relative basis. Revpar is going to grow four, five, six, eight percent, depending on where you where your hotel is and what the position is. More if you're repositioning it. And you know, labor is challenging. It's a huge challenge, but it's manageable. And so the NOI forecast, I think, is pretty strong for the you know. The current future as best we can see it. The ability to add hotels through new construction is at historically low levels as we know it. And so if you own a hotel today and it's well capitalized, it's a it's you're probably gonna have a really nice future. Now acquiring those hotels, you're gonna there's still this big bid ass spread. And I think I think that's I think that's coming down. And I think we'll start to see some liquidity return to the markets and uh we're really excited. I'm really excited about that side of it. We have really good capital partners aligned, uh, you know, sources, friends that are looking at doing things, you know, with us. We've got a really good operating company. We've got now a big enough portfolio to see many other different markets. And so we're going to be really patient. I tell you, we literally not acquired a hotel in over a year. Um, and that's, you know, I'm, I wake up every morning convinced convicted that that's the those are the right choices and then at about noon you think man that's not very rewarding <laughs> but we'll stay we're we're just as on the investment side we'll stay disciplined when when it makes sense we'll deploy capital i think it'll be a you know i think this will be a big year of deployment in the latter half going into 20 you know going into next year um and so we're ready positioned but you know if the deal isn't pencil yeah, but we got time. As I said, I'm going to do this forever. So, you know, what's the difference if we buy it this year or next year? We'll get it done. All right. I'm going to write you down as an optimist and that this is going to be a busy, one of the busiest years you've had. On I think that I, I believe that to be true for many levels, many, many different reasons. The economy generally is what I would say. And then the platform that we've built and the sort of momentum that we have, um, I think that's really going to, you know, continue to ex- help us grow materially. So I'll echo, just if I may, from our standpoint, our pipeline's as busy, as full as it's ever been. I mean, it very, very full pipeline. Yeah. I'm yeah. optimistic we can get it done. We'll see. Um, it still feels more of the onesie twosies instead of the big portfolios. Yeah. But actually, the big portfolios are starting to have some traction. So Yeah. yeah. And so you know, we've seen you know one, obviously, very big trade. Um, you know, with Hersha in the last half of last year, fourth yep. quarter, um, that was a big number. We had, you know, we looked at that. We were, at, we had a very similar opinion of value, um, and so uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating to see that. But it's just so much easier to get thirty million dollar, fifty million dollars right. deal deals financed. You know, at, at at this point. And so one of the things I would ask you and your team is to just lower the expectations on the seller side. The the BOV just got to tap those things down a little bit because I don't know nothing's traded at the prior BOV so maybe just uh, maybe just uh, walk walk the walk those sellers through the following 
you haven't renovated your hotel in six or seven years, the brands are out of patience. Uh, you, you took all the money out of your capital reserves to spend it on interest and property taxes, and you got to refinance your loan, and the lending market is not giving as it was before, and so somebody's got to write a check. Now's a great time to sell your asset, and it may not be worth as much as possible, but it's a good trade. It could get worse. Sell a damn thing. You should come be a broker, David. Come on, you're hired. <laughs> I, I probably never get hired because I think values are lower. Get, well, <laughs> put your seller hat on and talk to yourself now and tell me how that goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll say that to my own self. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're like, we'll likely trade some assets this, this year, um, sort of strategic, you know, rolling over, redeploy capital elsewhere. But, you know, we're not much different than a lot of other sellers. If it's not a good number, thankfully we're not forced to to sell things. If we can hang in there, we we might and we you know and we will. Um, but uh, I do think that the culmination of all those things will will cause your pipeline to become not only listed deals but close close deals. And so uh, yeah, there's we'll, just we'll a lot more. The same bet. There's just sort of a lot more motivation today, right? If you have if you have loan maturity, debt maturity, and you can't or don't like your refinance options, all of a sudden you're a seller. Yeah. Um, some of the new construction deals that haven't ramped up yet, banks are asking for capital calls. That's that's tough on the investment team. So if you're tired of, tired of writing checks, all of a sudden you're a seller. Whether you believe in the asset or not, it's just sort of a timing thing. Hey, we can't hold on to it. We're not, we choose not to put in the capital. We're going to pass it to the next person. Yeah, and I think if you break it down, right, at the operating side, most markets, right, cars above 2019 levels, NOI right. probably approaching or eclipse 2019 levels. If you're a seller, are you going to wait for it to go up further? Right. Maybe, you know, probably, maybe, but it's not something certain. And then so what are you waiting for? Interest rates to come down at some period of time and, you know, liquidity to happen? It's less it's less clear that now is a, uh, yeah, it's more clear that now would be a better time to be a seller than it was over the last couple of years. And so I think those urgencies and then sort of clarity in the markets should provide some liquidity. Yeah, we would argue, and I know it depends, this is macro, but I would argue that values are up today over where they were three, six months ago. So mm -hmm. uh, they may have been down, I don't know, 30, 40%. Now they're only down 15, 20 uh, they're still down. They just are. And obviously, some markets are flat and some markets are down significantly more. So very much a market by market, asset by asset. It depends. But if if previous, you know, last six months, it was a 10 cap. No one's selling at a 10 cap. You just don't have the seller. Even if the right. math says that it's a no trade. Yep. Now we're getting back up, I would argue, into the eights. Uh, interest rates coming down. People have some visibility. They have some clarity you know, knock on wood that there aren't major black swans, major catastrophes, uh, people have clarity. So I think more deals are going to get done on all, on both sides, both sides. Yeah, yeah. I hope you're right. We're looking forward to it. Um, all right, David, this is fantastic. I'm going to leave you with, well, or I want you to leave me with one, with one sort of optimistic statement either about the world, uh, about where we're headed, about the future. Uh, since you ended on that, let's hear it. Yeah, well, I mentioned to you uh, before we started this uh uh, I'm from the great state of Michigan and a diehard fan of the Michigan Wolverines. And so that is buoying my spirits uh, materially. I, I do believe the GDP of the Midwest, or at least the state of Michigan, has gone up because of the joy it's brought to the whole uh, the whole place. So 
that's that's buoying our spirits uh, socially. And then on a, on a go forward basis, I think, you know, first hospitality is in the best shape it's ever been. And uh, whatever comes in the market opportunities, uh, upside or downside, we're really well positioned. And so on that basis, I'm really excited about our prospects going into uh, the rest of the year. And, you know, it's uh, uh, it, 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 uh, it, it took me a long time, a couple of decades to find the industry that I love, but uh, I found it. So I feel like I'm one of the luckiest guys around. No, listen, Steve and the rest of the team, they're very lucky to have you. You're a great leader, enthusiastic, positive. Uh, you're the right man for the job, so stay that way. Uh, congratulations but, to your Wolverines. If Michigan can do it, anyone can do it. Is that the <laughs> <laughs> we're well, I'll take that. And uh it's the beginning of a dynasty. I'm going with that. Sure, sure it is. I'll I'll back that. We'll we'll <laughs> let's see. Big playoff next year. David, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is fantastic. Appreciate the time. And Steve, thanks, uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Wonderful to see you. You do a great job with this uh this program. And uh, so, so, so keep doing it. You're fantastic. And I appreciate the time off. We have great people in the industry. It's my privilege to show them to, to everybody. Nice. So, appreciate it. David, thanks. You're the man. All right. Thanks a lot, buddy. Talk to you soon. Bye.